It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other half of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kev, your team made it, bro. Your team's going to the Western Conference Finals after what I could probably say is probably one of the most shocking Game 7 results I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I didn't have Dallas winning the series in the first place, but the fact that this series got the seven games and the manner that they won Game 7, I, I'm literally speechless. I can you imagine how I felt like I, we were texting just briefly through the game, maybe two total texts, and it was it was nuts. So I mean, it, it obviously it's later in the evening, so my emotions have kind of faded. Um, thankfully, I had a voice to actually yell and enjoy it on the ride home because we were at a friend's house, so I didn't want to get them a noise complaint. Shout out to my community. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm doing the best that I can with the situation that I've been dealing with, but you know, super super happy. It's First time we're in this stage, let alone at this level of the playoffs in over 10 years. So um, I'm as happy as can be. Again, I apologize for the lack of emotion, but we're, we're coming close to 12 o'clock. So, excuse me, 1230 on our side. So uh, I'll do my best to kind of pick it up when we actually start talking about it. But definitely a whole lot to talk about today. Super excited to kind of get this going. But uh, I'm doing the introduction if you guys aren't already aware, if you can't tell, you know, let's see if I can hold this over. But, you know, Dallas and Phoenix go off in, a, in in an absolutely insane Game 7. So we'll talk about the game in general. And then, of course, you know, Phoenix, number one seeded team, best record in the NBA, had an absolutely embarrassing collapse. Uh, what went wrong for them? And then we're going to kind of talk about, you know, how can they improve and what they're going to have to do this offseason to kind of come back uh, for next season. And uh, uh, the best part is there was another Game 7 in the NBA just before this game, which was the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. Boston runs away with it. Another blowout game that nobody saw coming. Um, you know, personally, I didn't have Milwaukee winning, but uh, excuse me, personally, I did have Milwaukee winning, but uh, Boston found a way to get it done. And, uh, you know, Boston advances. And we're going to kind of talk about that game and that series and what Milwaukee's going to have to do to get back here. We all know that they were missing Chris Middleton, the second fiddle to Giannis is, uh, you know, superstar. So I don't look to personally, I don't look too much into it just because they were missing one of their better players. But Kyle and I will kind of give our, our, our opinions on what it is that's going to occur within that uh, situation. And then, of course, uh, to kind of wrap it up, per se, we're going to give like our first initial thoughts on the Western and Eastern Conference Finals matchups. Not necessarily predictions, just how we feel that this is going to end up in terms of, you know, comfortability, how these teams match up, just things like that. But overall, we have a couple of different things here packed up in the agenda today. So uh, without further ado, dude. Like you said, 
Game seven. It was absolutely insane. Lucas stepped up. Spencer stepped up. Jalen stepped up. It was, to me, it was one of the best games I've ever seen us play. I mean, it was utterly insane. I mean, just to kind of transition into the first segment that we have, I mean, just to kind of outline it for you guys. I mean, the Mavs won game seven against the Phoenix Suns, 123 to 90. I mean, a 33-point beatdown on the road in game seven. It's it's literally one of the most shocking results that I've seen by really any team in a game seven like this in quite some time. Um, when you look at the number one seeded Phoenix Suns, I mean, this is basically an utter collapse as far as I'm concerned. But when you look at it from Dallas's perspective, I mean, down 3-2 in this series going into Game 6. Uh, they rose to the occasion, uh, won Game 6 at home, and then they go on the road and just utterly dominate Phoenix in Game 7. Just an absolutely unbelievable performance from Luka Doncic. Drops 35 points. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie probably had the best game in this entire playoff stretch that the Dallas Mavericks have had. He dropped 30 points. And then Jalen Brunson also was very effective in this game as well, he dropped 24 points. So when you have Luca, Spencer, and Jalen combining for what was it like 94 points or like almost 100 points between the three of them? Yeah, at least just it was about. At, it, it was, it was like 30, 90, 35, so it's 65, and then 65 plus 24, that's 89. 89, points. 89. So I mean, overall, just an absolutely phenomenal game from Dallas. Uh, they advanced to the Western Conference Finals, where they'll face the Golden State Warriors. But Kev, I just got to ask you straight up. What was your takeaway from this Game 7 win from the Mavericks? As a Mavericks fan, happy. Um, again, I still stand by the fact that I get scared every time we come. We become so shot-heavy and shot-reliant. We were 19 of 39 from the three-point line tonight, uh, 12 of 12 from the free-throw line. I mean, we shot as a team 56.8% from the field. So I was happy the shots were falling, but my biggest thing is defense. I mean... Phoenix could not do a damn thing. Phoenix couldn't get into a rhythm. Devin Booker couldn't get into a rhythm. CP3 seemed off all night. Um, they had a 10-point second quarter. I mean, at halftime, it was 27. They had 27 total points. Luka had 27 by himself. It was just an absolute annihilation, a slaughter. Uh, just There was not really many things that I could say to kind of describe this. And... I don't know, man. It, 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 from the beginning of the game, I was start, starting to get a little worried because Luca got comfortable. He hit his first two or three shots, so he started taking a couple more threes. Before you know it, he had already, I think, four three-point attempts in the first quarter, and I was just like, oh, great, here we go. Um, and then, like I said, Phoenix just started missing, and then we started you know, moving in transition. Spencer comes into the game. He scores a quick eight points. Before you know it, he's got 17 or 18 at halftime. Um, JB then takes over in the second half and he just starts going off and he starts scoring all these buckets in the third quarter and he ends up with 24. Um, but again, the, the, the thing for me is just that Phoenix never was able to get into a comfortable offensive groove. And I think that's in large part to how Jason Kidd kind of made adjustments. Uh, and he realized, you know, you double Devin the second he gets the ball, throw him off his game. Um, you know, kind of be as physical as you can with him without, of course, injuring him or getting him to the free throw line, which, of course, he still hit some free throws today. But overall, um, you kind of have to be proud because you're making other people beat you. We all know that the way to beat Chris Paul is to get him tired from actually having to guard somebody. And no disrespect to Chris Paul with him being on the older side, him being a little undersized as, as, as a defender in general. Um, you know, you kind of force a switch just like Devin Booker and... and <laughs> And Chris Paul were making fun of it earlier. They were like, oh, when, when Luke is matched up on us, we're not really worried about it. 
Well, joke's on you, asshats, because, you know, we had to make you work for it, too. So uh, you can't always have your cake and eat it, right? That's what they always say. So enjoy playing golf and enjoy that uh, that Cancun trip, kid, because uh, it ain't making no difference. Dallas is moving on. I know I sound like a little bit of a tired, salty fan, but I'm giving as much energy as I can right now. I'm super excited. Dallas was able to capitalize. We limited turnovers where we could. Um, we were able to kind of keep the, our foot on the gas pedal and kind of just keep getting shots. We were getting, uh, we were finding men open. We were attacking the rim. Uh, and I was just happy overall. I mean, you just kind of look at the box score from the Phoenix perspective. Devin and Chris Paul had 21 points together. Chris Paul had a negative plus minus of 39. Devin Booker had a negative 41. It was just, it was bad. I mean, as a team, they shot 37.9%. From the three-point line, they shot 35.3. And the only reason that that percentage increased at all was because they hit a couple of threes in garbage time, and that's the only reason why they were able to kind of narrow the gap. Because at one point, I believe, Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong, it was like 46 or a 47-point game. And we almost made it a 50-point game. And Luka didn't even play the fourth quarter. Uh, a lot of our starters got pulled later in the third just to kind of make sure that everybody stood healthy. But, I mean, it kind of just goes back to what I said. Defense did what it needed to do. Their offense couldn't get it going. Jason Kidd is probably the MVP in my mind because he was able to change the culture in Dallas this season, change the mentality for it. Us just trying to outscore every team to us actually playing good, solid defense. We forced 12 turnovers on their side of the ball. And uh, I'm happy, man. We're moving on. I'm looking forward to it. The Golden State Series is going to be interesting. I can't be happier, but we sent Phoenix home. We beat the best team in the league. And it's not really much else you can ask for, bro. I'm just, I'm over the moon right now. I can't really, guys, I'm dead serious. It's so weird because I was telling Kyle, I don't have emotions because I'm almost in disbelief that it happened. I'm happy, but it's like, it's almost like I'm waiting to wake up from a dream or something like that. And I know it's only the second round. I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to the finals or anything like that, but for the series to start the way that it did, 0-2 in such a negative way, to get mopped up in Phoenix the first two games, to then end it in Phoenix and crushing them on their home floor, it's bittersweet. It's it's actually kind of cool. Kev, I just want to kind of like go through like how I was watching the game in real time because I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there's not really much left that I can say about uh, what Dallas did in this game seven. I mean, it, from beginning to end, I mean, this is just one of the best games that you could hope for if you're a Dallas Maverick player or fan, just because you beat the number one seeded Suns by 33 points. In the basically the biggest game of the year, I, I don't think you could have asked for a better result. But it, like I said, when I was, I, I didn't even watch this game for the most part, just because I was working. But I was paying attention to the game on ESPN, and I saw that you know Dallas got off to a very good start, and I was a little bit optimistic just for your sake because you know riding or dying with your team, you know, I'll Always. definitely, I'll definitely respect that, and then just. Like as the first half went on, mind you, I'm not watching the game. Um, I'm just watching the plays that are going on on the game cast on the ESPN app. And the one thing that caught me off guard just immediately was the fact that Spencer Dinwiddie was playing so well. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie, I mean, Kev, let's just face it. Like he hasn't had that good of a playoff stretch with Dallas so far. But when it came to this game specifically, I mean, he got off to a great start. I mean, he was leading the team. Early on in the first half, I think uh, before Luca really kind of took off at the end of the second quarter, I mean, Spencer had, I think, 15 to like 18 points. At about 18, really, yeah. Yeah, by the end of 
the first half, maybe like with a couple minutes left in the second quarter. And then Luca just absolutely took off at the end of the half to put Dallas up by 30. I mean, Dallas was up 30 points, 57 to 27 at halftime. And in my head, I'm thinking the game's over. I mean, I mean, if this was like a 10 point lead, that'd be one thing. If it was like a five point lead, that'd be another thing. But when you're up 30 points at halftime, I'm sitting here thinking like the game's over. Like Phoenix scored 27 points in the first half. I mean, 27 points is typically an output that you see within each quarter from each team. The fact that Dallas held Phoenix to 27 points in the first half is honestly one of the best defensive performances I've ever seen in a playoff matchup of this magnitude in a game seven. And, you know, Dallas just really kind of carried it going into the second half. I mean, granted, I mean, Phoenix, I think they put up like 20, 25 points in this, in the third quarter, but Dallas put up damn near like 40 in the third quarter. I think they put up like 35 to like 38 points, kind of somewhere in that margin. It, it just, they were just knocking down shots consistently. And like you said, the box score kind of outlined the whole scenario with Dallas just absolutely taking over this game. I mean, 57% from the field. It'd make you think that was Dallas like the home team? Because I mean, 50, like 56.8% from the field. I, you can't ask for a better shooting performance uh, from a team on the road in a game seven. It's just all in all. I mean, I, I'm absolutely just blown away by what Dallas did in this game seven. I, I mean, to be quite honest with you guys, I think I picked the Suns to win this series in six games. And I, I picked them in six games just because I had to kind of respect Dallas and what they've gone through this year. They they finished as a, a top four seed. Um, I thought that they were a team on the rise. I didn't think they would, they would actually get to a Western Conference Finals appearance simply just because I thought they were kind of one year away from that because it seemed to me Luka was carrying too much of the weight for this team or he was, you know, really kind of taking the majority of the shots uh, from everybody else with the way that Dallas runs their offensive setups. But they were able to find a way to just knock off one of the best teams, if not the best team in the NBA. And granted, I know we always kind of focus on Luka because he's like the main focal piece for Dallas. Spencer played probably one of the best games of his life. Jalen Brunson continues to be productive when it matters the most. And to be quite honest with you, Kev, this is one of the best defensive performances I've ever seen from a, a basketball team, just based off the circumstances. I mean, a, a game seven on the road, you're going up against a team that won over 60 plus games this year. And you literally just whopped them off the court. It's, it's unbelievable as far as I'm concerned. And at this point, I'm kind of speechless in how it just unfolded because I didn't think that Dallas was going to do it, but I got to give Dallas a lot of credit. Uh, they came through when it mattered the most and they're moving on. And I got to give them the respect for that. Kudos to them. Much appreciated. I mean, I'll be the first to admit most of you that follow the the, the, the podcast, most of you that, you know, listen to us day in and day out. I called sons and five. I didn't have faith. Uh, I will be the first to admit that I was a, not negative, but I was trying to be a little bit more on the realistic side of what are the odds of us beating the number one seed. We had our moments in the Utah series where I was nervous. And then, of course, the first two games, like I had iterated earlier, um, 
it didn't look good. It was kind of a situation to where I was like, great, are we about to get swept in the next round? Like, this is kind of crazy. And we found a way to rally and, and do what we needed to do to hold off. And it was insane. Um, I think they kind of messed up where they were talking that smack and that presser. And uh, I think that Phoenix kind of messed up by just not taking this team outside of Luka serious. We all know that Luka is the the focal point of the offense and kind of, you know, as Luka does as, as far as Dallas goes, or as good as Luka does, should I say. But, man, everybody, including like Stephen A. Smith and so many other analysts and broadcasters were like, Dallas is a lottery team without Luka. There are a lot of players on this roster that no one's ever heard of. And, you know, I, I know that they took that offensive. I know they took that personal, especially because a lot of our role players are actually doing relatively solid. I mean, Jalen Brunson was in the conversation for most improved player. Dorian Finney-Smith was actually, um, well, at least should have been on the ballot for a defensive player of the year or at least first team all defense because of the percentage he was actually holding opposing players uh, to. And then, of course, his increased output offensively within his three-point percentage and actual total points per game scored and so many other things. You go and you added somebody like Spencer Dinwiddie in the middle of the season, um, and he had the run that he did uh, as you know when the trade went final, back-to-back game-winning shots against you know Boston and then Brooklyn. Again, the fact that our roster is kind of being disrespected is what drives me nuts. I didn't have faith because I didn't believe that Dallas was going to be able to compete specifically with Phoenix because of Devin Booker and because of Chris Paul being the floor general and because of the volume of shots that we take that sometimes are just not exactly timely, (laughs) to say it politely. But uh, hey, man, I was wrong. I'm not going to go out there and and be crazy and say we're going to sweep Golden State or beat Golden State. I mean, hell, I'm happy we're just here. So, um, you know, we'll talk about that when we get to that subject. But man, as a Mavs fan, I cannot be a happier individual. I know, again, I, I know I seem very monotone, but... It is late at night, and it's kind of hard to share emotions when uh, you're limited to what you can say after a noise complaint in your community. <laughs> yeah, let's whisper so we make sure that we don't piss off our neighbors. But um, no, I mean, don't do it. It's not worth all the trouble. But <laughs> but no, I mean, I, Kevin pretty much, you know, he pretty much said everything that I was going to say. Um, you know, I mean, just I mean, we'll get into the uh, the Western Conference uh, Finals matchup in a little bit later, uh, but I mean, just I mean, off rip. I mean, you know, Dallas against Golden State, it, it, it's definitely going to be a fun one. But um, you know, really, there is another side to this story, and that is Phoenix. I mean, Phoenix, Kev. I mean, let's just face it. I mean, this was an utter collapse from the Suns in Game Seven. Uh, they were up three two in this series after winning Game Five at home. You know, they had two games to close it out. Uh, lost game six on the road to Dallas. And then this game seven is probably, like I said earlier, one of the most shocking, uh, I guess you would say it as an upset or really just kind of like just a shocking result altogether uh, based on losing at home by 33 points. I mean, we even saw the, the score get up into the mid 40s, like as far as the deficit was when it came to the Suns in this game seven. I mean, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, they didn't hit a shot in the first half. The Suns scored 27 points as a team in the first two quarters, which is almost unheard of when it comes to the Suns just because they were the best team in the NBA this season. They were the number one seed in the West for a reason. And their season comes to a crashing halt in the second round 
of the Western Conference playoffs. And, and that's where I'm going to kind of pose this question to you. It's just how shocking was this Game 7 defeat with the Suns losing by 33 points at home? Probably one of the most shocking things I've ever seen in sports, just because you take their record aside, the personnel that they have, the team that they have, the coaching staff that they have, you don't expect them to be inefficient. You don't expect Chris Paul to be inconsistent as he has been over the last three or four games. You don't expect Devin Booker to go as cold as he did. And that list just kind of goes on of, I was just sitting there in absolute shock, first and foremost, that Phoenix just came out there and they couldn't hit the front side of a damn barn. It was just shot after shot. It just it looked impossible, and it just continued throughout the entire game. And to look at Devin Booker and be like, wait a minute, he's what? Like, he ended 3 of 14. Chris Paul, we found a way to make him tired and work him on the other side, just like like I said again a couple minutes ago. Um, they were really focalizing, and by they I mean Phoenix, to make Luka work and get Luka tired. Dallas legitimately repeated that strategy and just legitimately said, you know what, if you're going to tire out our best player, we're going to make sure that we take advantage of Chris Paul on the other side as well. And um, for that, that's kind of where it went. And Phoenix was just completely incapable of moving the ball offensively to a point where they were able to create space. Um, They had some untimely turnovers at certain situations during the game. And then you go and you look at it and you say, when your two best players can't get into a rhythm, how do you expect the rest of the team to follow suit? So it's it's kind of crazy when you think they were the number one seed because they sure shit didn't play like it. Um, for them to score 27 total points in that half just goes to show our defense was able to be swarming and consistent all around the ball wherever they could be. But as a number one seed to lose at home the way that it did, it almost got away from me. Well, it did get away from me. Obviously, you lost by 30-something. Um, to almost get 50-piece on your own floor, it's embarrassing. I've never seen it before. Uh, you know, I'll be the first to admit Dallas lost to the Warriors that we believe team in, I think, 2007, the year after we lost uh, to the Heat in the finals. And we got embarrassed a lot, but never like this. I mean, granted, we lost the series in six, and I think we were the first one seed to ever lose, but or at least lose to an eight seed in the first round. But to go out there and just absolutely shit the bed in game seven at home, it just it didn't happen. We also didn't get the opportunity to lose at home because, you know, Golden State actually kicked our ass. But I don't know, man. I don't know if this is mentally something that Devin and Chris weren't able to shake. I don't know if this was overconfidence. I don't know if this was just, quite frankly, Dallas came into this game wanting it more. The narrative is going to say Phoenix shit themselves. Like, you know, Phoenix, like, just they could not. They couldn't handle the pressure. And it's... It's funny and yet super weird because they went to the finals last year. Like, this is pretty much the exact same team. And they couldn't get out of the second round of Dallas. Like, you really couldn't figure out a way to beat them knowing that you just absolutely smacked them every time they were on your home floor. So, I mean, Kyle, I'm, I'm kind of like double asking you. Do you think they, they gave up? Like, it, it looked like they had no fight left in them at halftime. And I don't, I'm not saying that's what happened, but that's what just what it looked like from my side. They just looked flat. I mean, Kevin, I mean, the, the way that I saw it is they were just getting outmatched. And, and the thing that, that really kind of shocked me about the Suns in the first half was, dude, they couldn't knock down a shot. I mean, 27 points in the first half. I mean, 
you know, it, it's one thing to score 27 points in a quarter. I mean, honestly, you know, if you score 25 to like 27, 28 points in a quarter, that's that's a typical output that you see from teams uh, in one quarter, but not in a half. And that was really like the most striking thing about the whole thing is that Luca essentially tied Phoenix's entire first half output by himself. And it was, it was kind of similar. It's similar to what I said earlier. I mean, I remember I was watching this game on GameCast on the ESPN app, and I saw it's it's a thirty point ass whooping at halftime, and in my head, it's like the game's over. Like, there's no way that Phoenix is going to be able to come back from this. Granted, I know that Phoenix has been a better second half team against the Mavs throughout this entire series, but thirty points. you can't come back from that. Even if you are at home, it's just, there's no energy. There's no motivation to really get back into it just because they couldn't get anything going. And, you know, when I look at this series as a whole, it's just an utter collapse as far as I'm concerned. I mean, like, like Kevin had said earlier, I mean, the Mavs were down 0-2 to start this series. And, you know, the Mavs kind of regrouped after, you know, uh, those first two away games by winning both of their home games in games three and four. And then the way that I kind of saw this series playing out is that Phoenix was going to win this series in six games because I thought that they would win game five, which they did. And then I thought that they would win game six on the road against Dallas. Dallas ended up winning game six at home. And then I surely thought that the Suns were going to win this game seven, just simply because when you looked at all of the home games that they had throughout this series up to this point, I mean, Kevin, you can say this pretty easily. I mean, the Mavs were getting smoked on the road. Not not like, oh, it was like relatively close and, you know, they had a fight. No, like the Suns dominated them by and large in the second half of most of those home games. And, and Dallas really had no answer for it until game seven. You know, and looking from the Suns' perspective, I mean, you're you're going into a game seven and the result is the team shoots 38% from the field. They shoot 35% behind the three-point line. And they essentially score 50 points in three quarters of play until they hit the uh, the fourth quarter where all that was garbage points anyway. I mean, 50 points in three quarters. I know Monty Williams won coach of the year. He's in a situation where guys are just not knocking down shots no matter what like he sets up for plays no matter what he kind of throws against Dallas guys are not hitting their shots there's nothing you can do and it's not like the Suns had like an exorbitant amount of turnovers they only had 12 turnovers in this game Dallas only had 11 so this, this wasn't really a game where both teams or even the Suns for that matter were really turning the ball over at will it was not the case I mean, honestly, you know, three turnovers a quarter for an average. It's not that bad, you know, looking at it from the Suns' perspective. But, I I mean, for the number one seed to lose in this manner, to essentially get mollywhopped on your home court by, at one point, I think the lead was up into the mid-40s. It's just utterly embarrassing. And granted, the Suns are a great team. I mean, they won 60-plus games for a reason. I mean, the chemistry that all of these guys had, I mean, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, uh, Jay Crowder, and then you can look at some of the role players like Cameron Johnson, uh, Cameron Payne, 
and Bismack Biombo and JaVale McGee. Like these guys can play. Like these guys have stepped up and have been consistent the entire year. But in this game seven, man, they just could not buy a shot. I've just, I've never seen a one seed in a game seven just utterly collapse like this to the point where the game was over. You could honestly say the game was over halfway through the second quarter. Because I remember I was watching the game on GameCast. It, it was a 20 plus, it was a 20 point plus lead um, with like five to six minutes left to go in the first half. And I'm just sitting here like, I don't know how Phoenix is going to get it back. I thought that Phoenix would have made some sort of show or at least made some sort of effort to get back into the game into the third quarter. But Dallas was just, was just consistent. Spencer was knocking down shots. Luca was knocking down shots. Jalen was knocking down shots. It's just that Phoenix just couldn't match it. And the way that I see it, you know, I, I, I think Phoenix can bounce back from this, but man, th- this is a gut punch. Th- there's no other way to say it. I mean, this team had finals aspirations. This team went to the finals last year. They pretty much, like Kevin said, had the same roster going into this year. They had a great regular season, and it just comes to a crashing halt. It's just one of the most shocking results I've ever seen in a Game 7. There have been some great Game 7s that we've seen that have been back and forth, and that was kind of what we were thinking was going to be uh, taking place in this game, and it was utterly the opposite. And that's really, I think, the most shocking part of the whole thing is that this game was a blowout. And the home team just got absolutely destroyed. I mean, it looked like the arena was basically empty with just a couple minutes left in the fourth quarter. I mean, game was over. And if you're the Suns, you know, I think they'll be able to be they'll be able to bounce back from this. But man, this one's gonna sting. And there's no other way to say it other than that. This one is gonna sting. Dude, it was I told you before. I'm looking at the game, I'm watching the game, and I'm saying, all right, we're we're hitting shots, they're missing shots, I'm hit, they're hitting shots, we're starting to miss a little bit of shots. And then it just kind of became that habitual thing of, they're not hitting the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, as a Mavs fan, I'm fucking loving it. <laughs> I'm not oh, about exactly. to be like, damn, <laughs> I'm not about to be like, well, damn, I wish they would hit some shots and make this more entertaining, because, you know, I know what it feels like to be on the other end of a blowout, all of us do, yeah. but... In the manner in which they did, whether that was because they were demoralized, they had given up, they had checked out, they were tired. The point is, you're the number one seed, you're home, and it looked like you just stopped trying. Like, bro, the effort that you got from your second and third unit was more than your starters gave you, which that doesn't bode well with me. That doesn't sit well with me because Devin looked flat going into half. He was running into the tunnel as half happened, like as as the you know the, the whistle blew, whatever the fuck. And he just had like a blank stare, not an angry stare, not a not a frustrated stare. It was like a, oh well, it. kind of fucking I, attitude. I understand it, and a part of it is I, I think it's just one of those, it's one of those moments where, where you get into the locker room and you just sit down at your locker and you're like, what in the fuck just happened? Honestly, you know when you walk into the locker room at halftime, you're down by thirty. At home. You could you could just look around the room. That. You could just look around the room, and I imagine everybody ha- had that kind of like blank expression on their face. It's like, what the hell just happened? And I think in their heads, you know, I don't know if somebody said something to kind of like energize the group to try to like get them back into the, get them back into the zones. It's like, don't worry, boys. We like we can get back into this. Like I know the road is tough right now, but 
you know, if we were able to get some shots down, we were able to play some good defense, you know, we're right back in this. But I think a part of it is just like, bro, it's like you're down 30 points and it's like there's no motivation. It looked like there was just no energy. And and that was really, I think, that, that gut punch that I was referring to earlier. When you get punched in the face like that, you're either going to respond one or two ways. You're either just going to accept it. It's like, damn, it's like it's just not our day. Or you fight back. And I you know, I imagine that, that the Suns had some sort of fight. You know, they definitely had a better performance in the third quarter, but they just couldn't stop Dallas. And I think Dallas had their number. And it's just one of those things, you know, at that point, you know, the game's well out of hand going into the fourth quarter. It's like, I think they just had to kind of give it up to Dallas. Dallas made the plays that needed to be made. And Phoenix is just kind of in a state of, they got us. It's like, there's nothing we can do. We can't knock down shots. We can't stop them. It's just one of those days. It just happened to be at the worst time possible. Because even in game six, when they lost game six, like they, they weren't in it. Like, it, you know, when it came to shooting, granted, they weren't knocking down the shots that they needed to more than what Dallas was. But it, this, game six was not a runaway game. Like the Suns definitely had the effort. It made it a competitive game. It's just it didn't fall in their favor. I think really Dallas kind of took it over the, in the second half of the game. But overall, I do think that the Suns could bounce back from this. I think they could look back at this game. Looking at the film of this game is going to be atrocious, though. This is kind of oh. one of those. Looking oh. at this game on film, it's like Monty's going to be like, he's going to have to have like a little bucket like right next to him because it's like, dude, I just want to throw up after that game. It's honestly one of those games when if you look at the film going into next year, I mean, there's your motivation. I mean, it's like, boys, we could do a lot better than this because, man, this was probably one of their worst games that they played. It, this may have been the worst. This game may have played. been, yeah, no, the, for sure. Like, and I, granted, I mean, they played a lot of games this year. This is probably the worst game that they played the entire year. I mean, when you score 50 points in three quarters, 50, it's almost unheard of. I mean, you'd have to go back probably 10, 15 plus years to where you could find a team scoring that low as far as output goes. And it just happened at the worst time possible. I remember some of the the camera shots uh, of the fans and they're literally just... It, it was almost kind of like the same thing. It was just like a state of shock. I, I know that you're probably mm. giddy about that because it's like, you know, Dallas is moving on. But yeah, it's like the, the season is, it's basically a train wreck. I mean, that's what it kind of resulted with. It's just an absolute train wreck at the end of the year. But even with how bad it ended, I still think that the Suns can bounce back from this going into next year. I mean, somebody asked Chris Paul whether or not that he was, you know, going to come back. Um, after the game in, in the uh, post-game press conference. And he already stated that he's going to be back. So, I mean, he's under contract. So He'd be and, stupid to retire, leaving all that money on the table. And, and, and honestly, I I don't know how you could walk away from the game after a game like that. Yeah, I, no. I, I could, the competitor I, I, in me would be pissed. Yeah, I, I'm like, there, there's no way I'm leaving like that. No way. I mean, Chris, don't get me wrong. Chris Paul is still, like, viable. Granted, he's not, like, old CP3, like, when he was you know, back in New Orleans or what, what he was like with the Clippers. But I know that he's looking at this like, this is, yeah, I'm not leaving on this one. 
It's not a good look, Poppy. But 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 like you said, hey, give it up to Dallas. Dallas showed up. They made life utterly hell for Devin Booker in that game seven. And they forced everybody else on the Suns to beat them, and nobody was able to do it. So it's just, it's kind of funny because I'm looking down at the box score uh, for Phoenix. You know, I mean, everybody kind of focuses on Chris Paul and Devin Booker. I'm looking at guys like Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder. Um, Mikhail Bridges had six points. Jay Crowder had five points. And Chris Paul, you know, granted, you know, he had 10. Dev had 11. Re- Reggie Bullock and Dorian had, I think, 10 total between the two of them. So, it's again, it's not like it, we did something so much better. We just had one or two players that actually stepped up when Luka was off the floor. They didn't have anybody to step up as a whole. And it just like like kind of like leadership was just lost at that point. It was like their souls were kind of like ripped out of their body. You can tell that their body language, they were just like throwing shit up that they didn't really care for. And that's my problem with a lot of these younger teams. And I'm not saying that Chris Paul is young. I'm saying the younger generation, it doesn't really, they bother. It doesn't bother them. You know, like they're going to be on a beach tomorrow morning and they're going to be chilling. Whereas this would eat Kobe Bryant alive. This loss would eat LeBron James a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like there are yeah. certain athletes that just can't handle loss like this. And to me, I didn't see enough of that determination or that, that, that frustration that anybody that just lost by 33 points at home would have. You, so you I, know, I, I I don't necessarily know if they'll be back just because it doesn't look like they have that mentality. You know what's funny? I, granted, like I'm going to bring up a different sport with this, but I think it's kind of apropos for what you're kind of mentioning here. And I remember there was a game that the Patriots were playing on Monday Night Football against the Dolphins a couple years ago. And everything was just going against New England that night. Just Things were not working out. And Deron Harmon, he's he was a safety for the Patriots at the time. He plays for the Detroit Lions now. God bless him. It's a tough situation in Detroit. But despite that, he was on the sideline just absolutely ripping everybody on the defense. He was getting visibly animated on the sidelines, knowing that like we're not playing our best. We're allowing this team to just destroy us on this side of the football, and I'm not going to have it. And it's kind of funny because the defensive coordinator for the Patriots is literally standing, and that was Matt Patricia at the time, was standing right next to him, just letting Duran take, like, let him just take the huddle. They basically just let him say what he's got to say to everybody to get them motivated because he knows that they could play better than what they were putting out. And that's the one thing that I think, I think as we get older, I think it's nice to actually see that from time to time. Like, when things aren't going your way, you need somebody to step up to just say and just give it straight and just be honest. Like, guys, we suck. We need to be better. We need to do this better. We need to do that better. We need to get our shit together to be able to make this a competitive game. And I didn't see any of that from Phoenix in Game 7. Not at I saw, all. I saw none of it. And, and, and I think it just it came down to just being... It just came down to accepting the fact that they were going to lose the game. And when you just accept it, then you're not going to see any of that on the sideline. And and, and to me, that is a little bit disturbing is one thing to say. It's a little frustrating to not see somebody actually like step up and actually, you know, care about. It's like, guys, we're, 
we're fucking losing. It's like we're getting destroyed on our home court. And we're just going to let it happen? Like, you need to see that spark. And I just didn't see it. And and that that is going to be kind of like be one of those frustrating things to see on the sideline. And, you know, we'll see what happens with the Suns this offseason. You know, I think by and large, they're going to be able to retain their core. But, yeah, if you're Phoenix, this is, this is a... This is a train wreck. This is a train wreck scenario. So uh, we'll, we'll see how it happens uh, with Phoenix going into the offseason. But, you know, good on Dallas. Dallas is moving on. Uh, they'll play Golden State in the Western Conference Finals. And uh, we'll kind of loop back uh, to that series in a little bit. But we're going to transition to the other Game 7 that took place. And that was between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. Uh, the Boston Celtics, uh, let's just flat out say it. They dominated the Bucks in Game 7 in Boston, winning by the score of 109-81. to um, I just have to say, by and large, this was a great performance from Boston. I don't think they could have asked for anything better. They really kind of exploded in the second half by scoring 61 points and maintaining and keeping uh, Milwaukee to only 38 points in the second half. I mean, up until halftime, the game had been relatively close. Uh, both teams were really kind of going back and forth in the first half, but Boston made some great halftime adjustments and really just destroyed Milwaukee in the second half. And Milwaukee had no answer. And with that said, you know, Boston's moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. They'll play the Miami the Miami Heat um, within the next couple of days or so. But let's focus on this Game 7 uh, between the Celtics and the Bucks, And that's where I'm going to pose the question to Kev. So to get this one to you, Kev, just how surprising was this result with Boston winning game seven over the Milwaukee Bucks? Well, to me, it was obviously a little bit of a shock because I just genuinely thought that Giannis was going to be able to take over just because they have merely been able to give an option to figure out how to stop him, slow him down, or anything of that nature. Then you go into it and you remember that Boston is actually the number one ranked defense in the entire NBA. You also remember that they have a great coaching staff between Ime Udoka and whoever it is the heels, whoever it is that he brought with him. And some of these defensive veterans, you know, Al Horford, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, all these different defenders that are able to kind of switch on and off of Giannis and kind of just p- play a pivotal role to make sure that they are able to get those loose balls, you know, dive on the floor for one of them as well and kind of make sure that you're doing everything that you can from just a fundamental basketball standpoint. And as Kyle already alluded to, with Milwaukee struggling in the second half offensively and, and scoring a total of 38 points, it's just kind of crazy to me because it's like, just like in the Dallas game, it was close at the beginning. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, at halftime, it was definitely close here. But overall, that second half was just a whole different world. This, this, like, Boston ran away with it, and it wasn't even close. And the only reason it's the level that it's at now is because, of course, like, like we, we talked about earlier, uh, garbage time kind of buckets and stuff like that. But you look at this and you say, Giannis was missing his second best player. You look at this and you basically say Giannis has done everything. I think he's the first player in NBA history in a postseason series to score 200 points. What? 200 points, 100 rebounds, and then 50 assists by himself. That's just absolutely insane to think that he is doing every single thing that he can for his team, and it's just not enough. People fail to realize the impact of Chris Middleton. He may not be hitting everything he does in terms of on the offensive side, but... If he's on the floor, you, you, you have to guard him. 
And if that's the case, then you leave somebody open or you leave somebody one-on-one with Giannis, which is why he's able to do what he does. But in terms of this series, it was great. I thought it was amazing the few games that I did get to watch. Um, Milwaukee was just short just a little bit, and Boston was kind of tired of probably doing this. You know, we're good, but, you know, we're not. Or, you know, like, we're good, but we're not going to make it to this round. Like, no, they're about to face Miami, top two-seeded teams in the Eastern Conference, and they're about to go at it. And I truly, truly believe that this is about to be not be a, a crazy-ass series. I mean, Kev, just to kind of I would talk about the Game 7 between Milwaukee and Boston. I mean, I mean Boston just flat-out destroyed Milwaukee really in the second half of this Game 7. And really, it kind of came from one of the places that I, I didn't really expect, and that was Grant Williams. I mean, Grant Williams led the team with 27 points. I mean, really... Like, when you look at this series uh, from a Boston perspective, it's really been Jason Tatum. I mean, Jason's been on fire this whole series. But, man, I got to focus on Grant Williams. He stepped up and was just phenomenal in this Game 7 for Boston. And that's really kind of been this series for Boston overall. Granted, you know, Jason Tatum's been very consistent this series. Jalen Brown has been consistent as well. So they've had a great one-two punch between Jason and Jalen. But... In some of these, you know, wins that Boston got, some of these road wins uh, specifically, you know, you saw s- some role players have huge pivotal games that got Boston to this point. I mean, just a couple games ago, I mean, Al Horford probably had one of the games of his life, just putting the entire team on his back and essentially being the motivating factor to get Boston a win against Milwaukee on the road, you know, early on in the series. And then when you focus on this game seven, I mean, this this Game 7, it could have gone either way at halftime because when you look at it, Milwaukee scored 43 points in the first half. Boston scored 48. So it's only a five-point game at halftime. And in a Game 7, that is not much of a lead to work with if you're Boston. But Boston made some great second-half adjustments, and they just basically wiped the floor with Milwaukee in the second half of the game. And it's kind of indicated... In the box score, I mean, when you look at Boston, I mean, granted, Boston wouldn't say that they had the greatest shooting performance, but they were able to knock down timely shots when they needed to, and then they were able to play good defense on the other side of the ball. Boston shot 42% from the field. Milwaukee shot under 37. And behind the three-point line, I mean, Milwaukee was utterly garbage. They shot 12% behind the three-point line, and Boston shot 40. So, the defensive switches that Boston was getting and really really the adjustments is what I'm focusing on here. Those second half adjustments I thought were pivotal for Boston to be able to get this game seven. And and not only that, when you look at Boston as a whole, now that they're going into the Eastern Conference Finals, really the, the, the question that's going to remain is Jason and Jalen are going to be there, but who's going to be the role players or who's the role player that's really going to step up for Boston with a trip to the finals, possibly, you know, is it going to be guys like Grant Williams or Al Horford, or maybe look at guys like uh, Peyton Pritchard. Like they have some decent role players to work with. It's just, who's going to be the one that steps up at the right time at the right moment to get Boston a chance to possibly go to the finals. They're going up against a very good team in the Miami heat. And I honestly, I think the heat have kind of flown under the radar so far this postseason, just because, throughout most of their playoff series so far, they've just been consistent. I mean, they had a great series against the Atlanta Hawks in the first round, 
Uh, they played very well against the Philadelphia 76ers in the second round of the playoffs. And there's a very good chance that Miami is going to be in a very good situation going into this Eastern Conference Finals matchup. And, and that's going to definitely be a point of emphasis for Boston. You know, I don't think that Boston is going to take Miami very lightly uh, in this Eastern Conference Finals matchup. But as far as this series is concerned, um, you know, Boston played extremely well in this Game 7. Uh, they deserve to be uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals and to knock off the defending NBA champions in the process. Uh, that's got to be a very good feeling for Boston. That's just how I see it. I mean, it's no easy feat, right? Let's be honest. Yeah. There, it, it's not something that you can just walk into and say, oh, well, you know, we knocked off the defending champions. No, 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 no. It's, it's a challenge. You, you come into this season and you say specifically, well, we're not doing too good first half of the year, right? You, you look at it and you say the second half we were able to adjust, we were able to get healthy, and then we were able to become one of the best teams, if not the best defensive team in the league. Um, unfortunately, an injury happens to where Chris Middleton falls, and Giannis has to shoulder the load to where Drew Holiday has to step up and a litany of other role players, and it just didn't happen for him. Bobby Portis was in foul trouble, couldn't really get into a rhythm. Drew Holiday, we've talked about a multitude of times, doesn't exactly play an efficient style of offensive basketball, but you know t- he has hit some timely shots in this series. But Kyle already said it. Boston was able to match up where they needed to. Boston was able to step up that intensity when needed, and they were up to the challenge. It was a tale of literally two halves, close game in the first, absolute blowout in the second, and I just think that that kind of took away from the, not morale of the team, but the confidence that they had going into it, saying this is something manageable. And it just ended up not being that way. And I know that we you know, normally talk about the, the box score relatively quick, so I'll just kind of give you guys numbers. Outside of Giannis and Holiday, Brooke Lopez was the only other person in double figures. Excuse me, Bobby Portis had 10. Mm-hmm. Giannis had 25 and 20. Absolutely crazy. One Almost assist had, shy of a triple-double. Brooke Lopez goes off for his best game of the series, 15 and 10. Drew Holiday does his usual, you know, 21 points, five boards, eight assists. After that, that's it. Grayson Allen, 22 minutes, one point. Wesley Matthews, 22 minutes, three points. You know, you look at it, Bobby Portis, 22 minutes. Again, like I said, he was in foul trouble, but he he had 10. Yeah, the list kind of goes on and on. And that's actually where we're going into the next topic of how how can Milwaukee bounce back? How can Milwaukee come back into this situation, whether it's semifinals, Eastern Conference Finals, or even the NBA Finals? Um, Kyle, I'm going to poise it to you just because I'm not necessarily at a loss for words, but I I feel like it's kind of clear-cut and concise because of them missing one player. But how do you think Milwaukee has to approach this offseason, and how do you think they can get back to this stage in the postseason? I mean, honestly, if I'm Milwaukee here, I wouldn't panic. They had a chance to possibly go to the Eastern Conference Finals, and it just didn't work out for them. And I do think, like, when you look back at, in this series in its totality, I mean, the fact that Milwaukee was able to take Boston. Boston is one of the best teams, if not the best defensive team in the entire NBA from this past regular season. And to push them to seven games when you're missing your second-best player in Chris Middleton, you know, obviously it's things that, you know, they're out of the playoffs and uh, their quest for a back-to-back championship comes to an end. But overall, I don't think this is a scenario where you blow up the roster and you start from scratch. I think they have uh, a lot of pieces to work with. I think, obviously, not having Chris Middleton hurt. But when going into next season, you're going to have Giannis, you're going to have Chris Middleton, and you're going to have Drew Holiday back in the fold. All those guys are under contract going into next year. 
And the only thing that I'm going to see some turnover potentially, as far as their roster is concerned, is going to be when it comes to the role players. Because when I look at this game seven specifically, uh, let's just face it. The role players didn't get it done today. You know, Grayson Allen had one point played over 20 some minutes coming off the bench and scored one point. Pat Connaughton played over 30 minutes, had two points. Uh, you could look at Wesley Matthews played over 20 minutes, scored three points. That's just not going to get it done. And granted, I know like Bobby part, uh, Bobby Portis is their energizer bunny that comes off the bench and really kind of delivers a spark from Milwaukee when they need it. He was rather ineffective in that game seven, only scored 10 points. Uh, there have been games where he could put up a, a 15 to 20 point performance off the bench. They just didn't get, get that from him in game seven. I mean, you know, when it comes to the core group of guys, look, you know, Giannis is going to Giannis as far as I'm concerned. Giannis is going to go out there and average, you know, 25, 30, if not 35 points a game when it comes to these playoff series. And in the playoff series in particular, I know Kevin mentioned it a little bit earlier, but when he he's the first player to get 200 points, over 100 rebounds, and 50 assists in one playoff series. Giannis is fine. Giannis is going to be just dandy going into next year. So I don't really expect anything to change uh, when it comes to Giannis, you know, disregarding some sort of injury, which we all hope that doesn't happen. Um, by and large, though, I, I don't know how effective they would have been had Chris Middleton been in this series. Going into the playoffs, Chris Middleton was already dealing with a knee issue. It got exacerbated when he sprained his MCL in the first round of the playoffs. Even if Milwaukee had advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals, I don't think there would have been a any guarantee that Chris Middleton would have played in the Eastern Conference Finals, maybe towards the later half of that series, if he was maybe available, they could have thrown him in there. But, you know, a sprained MCL, the timetable with that recovery usually takes somewhere between three to six weeks. So he only got that injury a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know how viable he would have been had he been in the rotation. The key player that I want to focus on moving forward with the Bucks is Drew Holiday. Because, look, I am very hit or miss when it comes to Drew Holiday because there are games where I watch him play and he plays phenomenal. He'll put up 20, 25 points, but it's specifically his defensive presence that he gives Milwaukee is like his biggest asset. And there have been many times uh, just from this past season and from their championship season uh, last year where he came up with some timely, crucial plays on the defensive side of the ball where Milwaukee took advantage of it and were able to capitalize off of it, which largely propelled them to win the finals last year against the Phoenix Suns. And then there are times where Drew Holiday is an inefficient shooter, where to the point it's really ugly to watch. And, you know, not to be too disrespectful when it comes to Drew Holiday. I mean, Drew Holiday could score, but there are times where he just forces up shots that are just unnecessary and he's trying to get into some sort of rhythm. I understand where he's coming from. But there are shooting lines that I see from him where he's like 6 of 20, 7 of 21, or for God's sakes, like 4 of 18. Like, these are atrocious stat lines when it comes to shooting. And I understand that he's under contract for the next couple of years, but he needs to play better. He needs to play better on the offensive side of the ball. I can't knock him for his defensive presence. He's phenomenal on that side of the ball. But his offensive game is shaky in stretches. He's very He goes very hot and cold. 
And that's something that I'm going to have to monitor going into not only next year, but possibly the next couple of years after. I mean, overall, when it comes to Milwaukee, they definitely need to probably shake up some of the role players because, you know, like I said, Pat Connaughton, Wesley Matthews, and Grayson Allen scoring in single digits, that is not going to cut it, especially in a game seven when the core group of guys with Giannis and, and Drew scoring over 20. They needed more from the role players and they simply didn't get it. So I think Milwaukee should just stay the course with their core guys and they should definitely focus on trying to bolster their bench because that was really the one thing that hurt them in this series. And it really showed in that game seven against Boston. Yeah, no, it's it's a hundred percent true. I, I don't really have anything to piggyback off of. They're going to keep this same lineup. They're going to keep this same roster because they're all locked in for the most part for the next two, three years. I mean, in terms of all of them being locked in together, um, it's a matter of you kind of retaining some of the better pieces or the diamonds in the rough, if you will. We all know that Grayson Allen can play at this level. Unfortunately, I have to admit that publicly, but we've seen spurts in which he is successful. Um, we all know that Pat Connington can give them meaningful minutes, but he isn't always the offensive unit that you would need to go out there. So I would say... First and foremost, you gotta you gotta keep Bobby Portis happy. Um, he's one of your best role players off the bench. He's somebody that can be inserted into the starting lineup and not disrupt the offense. And then you're just gonna have to go out there and you're gonna have to find somebody that's similar to a Jalen Brunson because you need somebody that's able to hold the ball and score when Giannis and Drew are off the floor. And of course, at the end of the day, we all know that Chris Middleton will be back next year, so we'll see how that goes. But a deeper bench is going to be the most pivotal piece for this team because they do need that second unit to be able to be competent <laughs> until Giannis gets that breather of his. But, I mean, outside of that, congratulations to Boston, man. We all know that Jason Tatum and Jalen are the two duo that are keeping that team afloat. But today in particular, Grant Williams was the one that led the way in their team with scoring. I believe he had 27. However, he did take 18 threes. So, I mean, it does make a little... It makes a little bit of sense. I mean, at the end of the day, if you knock in, what, just shy of nine, if I'm not mistaken, you're you're looking at almost 50%, which is crazy. So um, I'm happy with Milwaukee. I don't think they need to change anything. It's unfortunate that, that they fell short in this magnitude, of this magnitude, or should I say in this manner. Sorry, my brain's starting to turn off at this point. Um, and, you know, you, you want better for the defending champions, but, I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at it. Boston wanted it more. Whether Milwaukee was tired, whether they came out flat, they maybe took their gas off, the foot off the gas pedal. Boston didn't do that. They kept it on the jugular and they made sure to continue to apply pressure. So overall, um, it was a great series. Cannot complain. I had fun watching the games that I was able to watch. And I did, you know, of course, try to tune into this one specifically a little bit more than I uh, was able to. But hey, man, the Bucks won the championship last year. The Celtics are looking to get back to advancing their dynasty. Again, the Lakers and the Celtics are tied, I believe, with 17 total championships apiece. Right, Kyle? Yes, sir. So they're looking to break that, and we'll see what happens. But, you know, overall, kudos to Milwaukee for the fight that they had all postseason and dealing with that shorthanded staff. But let's see what they do this offseason because we know that they have the potential to go back to another finals if they keep this team together. I mean, Kev, I, there's there's not really much else that I could add. Um, I think the Bucks are in a good place. Giannis is in the prime of his career. Um, when they get Chris Middleton back, um, really that three-man rotation that they're going to run with Giannis, Chris, and Drew, I, I think they'll be fine. Uh, the only thing that I would 
really kind of hope that you know changes uh for Milwaukee in this perspective is just that Drew Holiday shoot a little bit more efficiently just because uh his shooting performances are too inconsistent for my taste and um I think as long as they do that and try to bolster their, their bench I think they'll be in, in a very good position going into next year um let's face it the Eastern Conference um is still relatively weak as far as I'm concerned um and I definitely think that you know the Bucks are in kind of a position where they can take advantage of that, and you know they could possibly be in a situation where they could end up in another Eastern Conference Finals next year uh, if they if they play their cards right and if everybody stays healthy. So, uh, granted, you know watching Milwaukee can kind of be tough sometimes because of the style that they play, especially during the playoffs. It could be a much more it's more of like a grind type of style that they play. In the playoffs, it worked for them last year, and in times in this postseason, it worked in stretches. But you know, when you get spanked by damn near thirty points against Boston in Game Seven, you know, didn't really work out for them in the end. But I'm not worried about about uh, Milwaukee; they'll be just fine. Uh, for no, the foreseeable it should future. be straight. But with that said, uh, we're going to transition to kind of our last segment. I don't know if this was really even a segment per se. Uh, mostly Kevin and I are just going to freestyle uh, these last two uh, games we're going to go over or series that we're going to go over. And that's the um, the Eastern and the Western Conference finals matchups that we have that are set to take place later this week. Um, in the Eastern Conference, we have the Miami Heat going up against the Boston Celtics. In the Western Conference, we have the Dallas Mavericks going up against the Golden State Warriors. So we got some great matchups going into both conference finals in the NBA. And Kevin, I'm just going to pose this one to you. How do you see both these series playing out with the Mavericks playing the Warriors and the Celtics playing the Heat? Oh, it actually makes me laugh because I just thought of this point right now. Both teams, or should I say both sets of teams, are similar in their own right. In the Eastern Conference, Boston and Miami, two of the best defensive teams in the league. On the other side, in the Western Conference, in terms of this playoff series, Golden State and Dallas are two of the best shooting teams in the playoffs. So it's just kind of funny that the narrative behind both of them are going to be two different things. Now, understandably, Dallas is a top five team in total defensive efficiency. So um, it is going to be a challenge to kind of keep up with Golden State. But again, with the similarities, I'm going to see how, if I'm going to get this right, I feel like in the Dallas game, again, I speak as a fan, but at the same time trying to be unbiased, it's going to be a consistent shootout between the, I guess, the Eagles of Steph Curry and 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 Luka Doncic. We'll kind of see what happens there. Uh, both teams are volume shooters. Um, both teams are able to step up defensively when needed. If a stop is needed, a turnover is needed to be forced, um, we know that both teams can accommodate and do what they need to do to get a stop. But on the other side, you go and you look at Boston and you look at Miami, two of the top defenses in the NBA today, and you have two superstars on the defensive side that could technically be in competition for Defensive Player of the Year, depending on who you ask. I know Jimmy was never nominated, but in terms of his on-ball defensive presence, along with P.J. Tucker, that's a great one-two punch in terms of on the defensive side. You add Bam Adebayo and a couple of other players. Now in Boston, you obviously have Jason Tatum, which is an up-and-coming two-way player. Jalen Brown, an up-and-coming two-year player the current Defensive Player of the Year, and Marcus Smart. So I see this series getting very chippy. Um, I see this series getting very physical because of the magnitude of a trip to the finals being on the line, but at the same time, the teams being very similar in their own regards. 
But um, overall, I think the next round is going to be very, very, very fun to watch because of those overfactoring similarities. And I think that uh, the Eastern Conference might be a little bit more entertaining because personally, I like defensive games. I still stand by Dallas has to continue to attack the basket. We are not Golden State. We are going to see some good games by Golden State where they look like they can shoot the lights out with their eyes closed. And then there's going to be games like every bad shooting team has where they can't hit the front side of a barn. So the preview of it basically is be mindful and pay attention to what you see here because it's almost like you're watching two teams fight each other, you know, like fighting themselves in the mirror because of how similar they are, in my opinion. But I'm excited for it, man. Um, Both of them are great sets of games that are going to be here. Uh, Dallas, unfortunately, has the 9 o'clock slot every single game except for a potential game 7, which would be at 8, but whatever. So I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait till it starts on Wednesday. But, yeah, no, these uh, these conference final games are going to get really, really interesting. Well, Kev, at least those 9 o'clock game slots are better than the freaking 10 o'clock ones that you had to deal with with the uh, the last uh, series with Phoenix. I know that was that was relatively tough. And even in the Utah series in the first round, there were some very late starts. So at least 9 o'clock is better than 10 o'clock. So oh, yeah. at, least, at least you'll be able to watch some of the games without staying up to like 1 o'clock in the morning uh, when those games actually finish. But no, I mean, Kevin outlined that series pretty well. As far as my perspective... I'm going to start with the Western Conference one first, and then I'll move into the Eastern Conference one. So when I look at the Mavs and the Warriors series, to me, this is going to come down to which three-headed monster on each respective team is going to be the most viable going into this Western Conference Finals matchup. And that's, okay, let's take Dallas, for example. you got Luka Doncic, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Jalen Brunson. Those are essentially the three focal pieces that Dallas is going to run with going up against Golden State. And then you compare that with what the Warriors have with Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Jordan Poole. Now, that, to me, is where the matchup is going to be made. Because, I mean, let's face it, both of these teams can shoot the lights out. And both these teams have just unbelievable superstars at their disposal. I mean, Golden State has Steph Curry, who's just arguably one of the best players in NBA history. Luka Doncic, who is one of the best up-and-coming stars that we've seen in recent memory. He's been shooting the lights out, not only just this year specifically, but pretty much throughout his entire career. He's even improved it uh, vastly in this second-round playoff win that they had over the Phoenix Suns. And then after that, it's going to be, you know, Klay Thompson going up against Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, obviously, those are probably the, like, maybe the number two options on their teams you can maybe make a case that Jalen's the second option for Dallas I know Kevin could probably talk about that a little bit more extensively but you know when you look at those matchups you know Clay and Spencer and then after that you've got Jordan Poole and and Jalen Brunson I mean you know both Jalen Brunson and Jordan Poole they're still relatively young but they are really proving their worth uh, with both teams specifically this year really Jordan Poole has been just on a meteoric rise uh, this year specifically. And Jalen Brunson has largely flown under the radar really until this playoff stretch that Dallas has been on. I mean, he had some unbelievable performances uh, against Phoenix in the second round of the playoffs, but really his biggest performance came against Utah where he dropped over 40 points in game two. That essentially what, what the way that I see it pretty much saved uh, Dallas early on in this playoff run. 
And then you just look at how the series is going to play out. I think it's going to be a fantastic series from beginning to end. Um, this, I think the series has the potential to go seven games. Um, I'm not going to pick a winner yet. We're just doing first impressions, but I think that Western Conference Finals matchup is going to be a fun one to watch. I know Kevin's going to be on the edge of his seat every game. He's going to be sweating bullets, texting me saying it's like, either Dallas is going to be amazing or Dallas is going to suck. I'm going to know it by based on what he sends to me uh, through a text message. And then to flip it over to the Eastern Conference, let's face it. You know, this is a great matchup. You, you know, you get the number one seed going up against the number two seed uh, with Heat going up against the Celtics. Um, really, the Celtics defense is going to be a huge factor here. And, you know, they have the best defense in the league for a reason. Uh, they've given teams fits the entire years on that side of the ball. And they have some great players on the offensive side of the ball to make some pivotal plays here. I mean, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been absolutely phenomenal this playoff stretch for Boston. It, it seems like to me they have finally gotten to the point where their veteran leadership is taking over. And really, I think their playoff experience is is starting to take over just because they finally, I think, have gotten over the hump of just dropping series that they should have won. So I think they finally have gotten past that point and they're winning the series that they should probably win. And that could continue. Um, it could continue into the series as well against Miami. Miami is as far as I'm concerned. Uh, they've flown under the radar um, by my perspective, just because as a number one seed, I'm just going off my gut here. I don't think that Miami is that strong of a number one seed. And it's not something that I felt it's, I think it's something that I think Kevin and I had can kind of look at together and we can kind of see Miami's not necessarily the strongest number one seed that we've seen come out of the Eastern conference compared to teams in the past. But despite that Miami is a very good and a very well-rounded team. And that's something that I'm going to have to focus on going into this series because Jimmy Butler has been, He's been outstanding. He's been playoff Jimmy pretty much throughout this entire playoff stretch. I thought he had a great game six against the 76ers in the second round to close out that series. But they've been getting great production from their role players, and especially guys like Max Struess. I, I remember the first time I was watching this guy. This was a couple months back. My brother and I were watching a, a Heat game. And the one thing that just caught me off guard with uh, Max Struess was just how effective he was at shooting behind the three-point line. He can get on a hot streak very quickly where he could drop 15, 20 points consistently. And if he's able to do that against Boston, that's going to give Boston fits. I think the one thing that we're going to have to look at with Miami is if they're able to control the paint with Bam Adebayo and maybe a role player like Dwayne Dedman because Boston, let's face it, they don't really have somebody who can really protect the rim well outside of maybe Al Horford. That's not necessarily the best matchup uh, from Boston's perspective. So Miami could look at a situation where they have Bam Adebayo. And, and Bam's been having a consistent playoff stretch so far. There's been some games where he's been inconsistent at times. But I would like to think that you know Miami likes their chances with that matchup of Bam Adebayo versus Al Horford. And we'll kind of see how that plays out. And then, you know, you could look at some other role players. You could look at Kyle Lowry. Uh, you could look at guys like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. I mean, Duncan Robinson didn't get much burn in the second round of the playoffs. He got a huge burn in the first half 
in that the first half in the first round of the playoffs against the Atlanta Hawks. I think Miami made the adjustment to try to go a little bit bigger against Philly in that series. So Duncan wasn't really used that much. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a reemergence of Duncan's playing time going into this uh, third round matchup or the Eastern conference finals, just because I think Boston's going to shoot a lot of threes in this series. And I think, you know, Miami's going to look at it from the perspective of we need our three point shooters to knock down shots. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see Duncan Robinson get a huge amount of time. Uh, Same with Tyler hero. Those guys can get hot really quick behind the three-point line. And I think it could work to their advantage in this series. Overall, I think both series are going to be fun. Uh, I can't wait. They start in the middle of the week, uh, just in a couple days from now. And, you know, we'll just kind of see how it plays out. But I think this Eastern Conference uh, Finals matchup that we have with the Heat and the Celtics, I think it's going to be a good one. The same goes for the Mavericks and the Warriors out West. And... You know, we'll see how it plays out, but it should be a very fun uh, conference finals when it's all said and done. Yeah, man, it's going to be we I hate when we get to this point because that means we have less games to watch. It's unfortunate. You know, we've had such a good time just watching basketball with what seemed to be every single day. And now you're looking at it like now we got to (laughs) wait X amount of days to get a certain series or a certain game that we want to watch. But that's the best part. You're you're, you're trying to see who's going to be the best of the best. And that's just what it is. But overall, we have some great playoff games coming up. These conference title games are going to be absolutely wild. Um, bias aside, I mean, that, that that Heat Celtics one to me is going to be very, very gritty and very, very chippy. So mm-hmm. um, I'm looking forward to it specifically. But of course, you know, Tyler already alluded, my game is going to be me sweating, me profusely getting just absolutely ridiculously fucking nervous. But I will make a point as of right now um personally i told kyle before we started recording if this ends now if if the mavs were to lose a sweep in five and six and seven whatever i am beyond content with how this team has gone because i predicted them to lose last series so i have already overachieved or should you know somewhat been proven wrong whatever the case may be you did you they 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 they. You, you you know what i'm saying i'm just happy that we're here. I, of course, want them to win it all. I would love to have a another championship and to have Luca hoist up a trophy like Dirk did. Um, but again, I don't have a hatred for the Warriors. I don't have any animosity toward the Warriors. I have a good, 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 good friend of mine that's a true, true thick through and through Warriors fan. Shout out to my boy Mike Casada. Um, we're probably going to end up having him guest guest appearing on one of these episodes in the near future while this series is going on, just because of the dynamic the two of us have. And then, of course. You go and you add Mike onto the podcast with him being with him being a Warriors fan. It's going to be yeah, real interesting. You know what's funny is I could honestly just moderate the two of you. I could just like throw questions to either of you, and then you guys could just like go back and forth on it. And I could literally just lay back in the cut and chill. It's like you guys, hey. like hey, you boys could have it. Like this is these are your teams. Uh, listen, my team's out. My team's been out. So there's not much I could say about that. But I would have no problem just like literally just lay back in the cut. Like, you boys have it when it comes to the Mavs and the Warriors. Like that doesn't bother me at all. I'm just super happy we're here. Like I said, man. So I'm I'm gonna just let it be with that. And that's not, again, that's not saying we're gonna lose. That's not saying that you know I feel like we're gonna get our asses handed to us. As a Mavericks fan, I'm happy, and I haven't been happy with the Mavs in years because either we were a first round exit for the last eleven years, or we fell short of the playoffs at you know the tail end of Dirk's career. 
So to be in the Western Conference Finals, to show the world, especially Stephen A. Smith and a lot of people that said that our roster was terrible. Who the hell is this guy? Oh, you're relying on Dorian Finney-Smith. Who the hell is this guy that's making all this money? Yaka eat a dick. You know what I'm saying? Like that, That's pretty much what I'm going to say to that because I watch this team every year and I see how far we've come and I get mad at Luka because, you know, the superstar has the most pressure on his shoulders as they normally do. And um, what we've been able to achieve this year has been nothing short of incredible. So I'm happy with my team and I cannot wait for this round to start. But I look forward to kicking some warrior ass, I hope. At least I hope. You guys need a center still. You guys are lacking at that position. hundred percent. I've been saying that for 11, 10, 12, 13, 14 ever years. Since, ever that since Tyson changed. left. Ever since Tyson left. Never been the same, huh? Nope. Nope. And I will I will I will die on that hill too. That is another hill that I will sit there and plant my feet in the ground that I will not move until we do it. And Lucas gotta stop taking thirty plus shots a game and single handedly running the offense. I know it yeah, gets you. There's, you know, there's I know, a couple I know of it, things. I know it drives you up a wall when Luca just takes over. Yeah. But if he's not getting that shots, sometimes. If he's not getting that shots, you know, okay. But you know, when it's not happening, it's it's tough. I know. But yeah, no, I I mean, that's pretty much all that we have as far as the agenda is set. Uh, I did want to make a quick mention of the NHL playoffs just because those are going on, and I think Kevin and I, I think we can kind of both agree on this one that we have neglected the NHL playoffs uh, so far. I think honestly, I think we've neglected NHL to a larger extent as well. Um. Let's face this. There were five game sevens in the first round of the NHL playoffs. And I don't care what sort of sports that you watch. But when it comes to five game sevens, that is damn near unprecedented. It's nuts, bro. I mean, that's five. absolutely insane. There, there were two that took place on Saturday. I believe that there were three taking place on Sunday. Um, it, it's just absolutely nuts. And I will say this. Kev... I think you could agree with this. Playoff hockey, when it starts Nuts. getting down to the nitty gritty, bro, it's electric. Nuts. It's electric. I mean, the Lightning won uh, Game Seven in Toronto on Saturday. I mean, to kick it to you, I think the Rangers beat the Penguins uh, in overtime. After being down three one yep. in the guard, I think they're the first team uh, in NHL history to have three comeback wins. Um, back-to-back-to-back in a playoff series. Um, It just... We do neglect hockey. You know, I I think, you know, when when it was kind of funny because I was watching that Lightning game the other day, and the thing about Toronto that I I always kind kind of find comical that hockey fans will bring up is that Toronto, they haven't won a playoff series since, like, the mid-2000s. I think it's 2004 to be specific. And... No matter what happens to them, they can never get out of the first round of the playoffs when they make the playoffs. And they were in a situation where they were up 3-2 after game five. Uh, they, they lost an overtime game in um, in game six in Tampa. And then in game seven, they lose on their home ice. And it was it was interesting watching the, watching the crowd. At, you know, as it got down to the end of the third period, it just... You could feel the tension in the air whenever, like, Toronto was close to scoring a goal. Like, it was like, oh, it was so close. Like, it was like, it's like those kind of moments where it's like you were, like, this close to, like, tying the game. And it just, the puck didn't bounce your way. And they find themselves out of the playoffs. And and the Lightning, you know, move on to the second round of the playoffs. And, I mean, 
they're trying to be the first team since I think the freaking Lakers in the beginning of the millennium to have a three-peat. I think the Lakers were the last team to actually do a three-peat uh, across all of North sports. American sports in North American sports. So, and the Lightning are technically going for that. And, you know, granted, it didn't come easy in the first round, but they do advance to the second round. And it'd be very interesting to see uh, how they match up against the Florida Panthers just because uh, the Panthers are one of the best teams in hockey this year. And, you know, I mean, if you look at it from last year, the, the Lightning did beat the Panthers in a playoff series last year, but that could not be, that may not be the case uh, going into this year just because the Panthers are just on a whole nother level this year. But, you know, I, I think we should try to make a little bit more of a devoted effort to just at least pay attention to some of these second round games because, bro, these games are, they're they're nuts. They're nuts, especially when it comes down to the end. Uh, that third period gets wild. For sure. I know, I, dude, I know the Garden was going crazy when the Rangers won I, game seven. I was locked into the Mavs game. My phone was blowing up. Friends, family members text me about the hockey game. I'm like, listen, no disrespect. I will always cheer for the Rangers, even though I don't follow hockey. But listen, the Mavs are mopping the floor with the number one seed team in the Western Conference right now. I need to pay attention. I don't give a shit if we was up 55. I, my eyes were not coming off that TV for nothing. I, listen, but, I, I feel yeah. that. I feel that. But no, it's, I mean, all in all, it was a great sports weekend. Um, whether you were watching uh, basketball-related content baseball. Or, or baseball or NHL, it was a great weekend. I mean, you really couldn't ask anything more, uh, especially when it comes to, to, to playoff hockey or playoff basketball. I really, I, I think both lived up to expectations, except for maybe basketball with both of those games just being absolute runaway Blowouts, games. Blowouts, yeah. So, you know, that's one thing. But, you know, Game 7 is what more can you ask for? There's not much as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, hopefully we get a couple more of those weekends before uh, we really kind of transition into the summer and where it really just becomes all baseball at that point. Facts. But, Kevin, I think that just about wraps it up for us. You're not that everything on the agenda. You got anything else that we need to hit before we wrap it up? No, man, that's going to wrap it up for me, too. Um, it's about one forty-five here. We are both exhausted having to work in a couple of hours. So um, yeah. outside of the outside of the usual, thank you for the support. Um, we appreciate any and all love. Um, social medias are still evolving. We're still trying to get some TikToks out there, some YouTube shorts. Um, obviously, with this conference, conference finals here for the NBA, and like Kyle said, we're going to try to include some NHL. We're gonna make sure that we get some content back on a normal schedule, just because now that we, now that I have the Mav schedule, they've given us the proposed schedule for this. <laughs> Kyle and I can iron this out because the Mavs always tended to play. They wanted to fuck around and give me Thursday games at 10 p.m. We didn't even know the the time of the Game Seven matchup between the Suns and the Mavs until like yesterday. Yeah, so it, that was it, that wasn't it, fun. At least, it, listen, at least it was at 8 o'clock. At least this game didn't start at like 10. Yeah, yeah, but we still, you know, finished recording late just because obviously I still had to get home from where I was and we still had to figure out and iron out the agenda. But overall, again, we always find a way to get it done. It's not a problem. We always find a way to make sure that you guys get the content. So as I said before, if you guys, you know, want to continue to support us, like and subscribe, comment below. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you want to hear. Even Even if you disagree with what we're talking about, that's fine. Um, we welcome the negativity. Again, it's just a conversation that we like to have openly. All of our stuff is opinionated, and 
we just love any any and all support we can get so as always man i i really appreciate it i know kyle does too yeah i mean there's not really much left for me to say uh, just appreciate you guys tuning in um i guess when it comes to the rest of this week uh we'll try to get out um maybe a segment or two in the middle of the week just because uh both of the eastern and western conference finals matchups are going to start in the middle of this week so wednesday so kevin and i are probably going to try to get out uh, a segment or two about uh just an overall series prediction in both of those matchups with the uh, the warriors and the mavs and the heat and the celtics and then you know we'll have our typical friday episode at the end of the week and we'll, we'll, i guess we'll try to sprinkle in some more hockey content just so we can uh i guess cover the gaps so we'll definitely try to incorporate that uh for the rest of the week but other than that um yeah just appreciate you guys tuning in whether it's on the audio side the spotify apple podcast or watching us on youtube uh, we definitely appreciate the support hope that we uh see you guys for our next episode or next segment that we drop and um that's all that i got from here kev take us on home all right ladies and gentlemen let's have a great start to the week um it is monday by the time y'all listening to this let's have a great i don't know great day great week whatever it is that you guys want to say and uh, we'll see y'all soon Yes, sir. See you guys later. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.